You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Activia. Activia offers a range of yogurts that help support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of the Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry. Welcome to the Real Health Podcast with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. On this week's show, you've all seen Riverdance, I'm pretty sure, but have you ever wondered what it takes in terms of fitness and mental performance to perform night in, night out for over five and a half thousand shows? Well, meet Pork Moyles, Associate Director of Riverdance and a former lead dancer who has performed those five and a half thousand times. Just think of the physical and mental strength needed to be at that level for so long. So, guess what? I decided to catch up with Pork to find out his remarkable story and get some secrets into his peak performance. Tell us a little bit about your, your dancing career, your background. Was dancing something you always wanted to do? Not something I always wanted to do, Carl, just something I always ended up doing. <laughs> uh, my mom put me into Irish dancing in Dublin when I was about three years of age because I used to follow my sister around as she was going to class and I used to just copy her. I think most kids do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in, in fact, I actually hated Irish dancing because really? it took away from my football time and that was where my passion was at that time. But my mom wouldn't let me quit. Um, and when we moved to New York when I was about nine years of age, as quite often happens when you move away from home, your culture becomes that much more important to you. Mm -hmm. So my parents ensured that we continued to play Gaelic football, Irish dancing, Irish music, all of that. And I suppose um, I, I started dancing for a guy named Donnie Golden out in New York. And that's where I really began to learn about where my passion lay within Irish dancing, which was okay. in performance. And it was him that I owe a lot of um, my success to in terms of giving him the credit that he deserves for teaching me and helping me understand what my passion was in terms of performance. Okay. And that can be really important, I think. And, you know, I think myself, I can like, think back to my English teacher, for example, when I, when I was in school. He was so, he was just an amazing influence on my ability to want to learn English. Uh, my rugby coach when I played rugby was the exact same thing. I think, you know, adults can have that key role uh, and mentors almost where you're inspired by somebody to go on and to go on and be the best. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you, you know, you, you began to enjoy it. How did it go from there to being on stage and performing? Well, uh, I suppose the Eurovision with Riverdance in 1994, uh, that played a key role. I had just began dancing with groups called like Cherish the Ladies, um, the Chieftains, uh, various groups like that um, around America. And I, I enjoyed being out there in front of crowds and just dancing and performing and just being, I suppose, that sense of freedom. Um, and then you see Eurovision in 1994 and what John McCogg and Moya Doherty and Bill Whelan did with that. Um, that really kind of, I, I remember seeing that saying to myself, I, I need to be a part of that. Wow. And uh, I watched it on a VHS. It, VHS. I didn't get to see it live. Uh, wow. There was no USB sticks. <laughs> there was no DVDs. Uh, there was no streaming. Um, so, yeah, I, I watched it on a VHS uh, that my uncle had sent out from Ireland. And I just remember just saying to myself, like, how do I get to be at that level? How do I get there? And that was just my desire and goal from that moment on. OK, so you're very goal driven then as a person. I think so. Well, you have to be. Well, we all, you saw something, you said, I want to be a part of that. And you got there. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, in terms of that journey from literally the watching of it to performing it. How did, how did that happen? Well, I, with Donnie Golden again, um, I, I was lucky that my mother sent me to him in particular. He was also the teacher of Gene Butler, who was oh, the yeah. original Eurovision star of Riverdance. 
Um, and it, it was one of those things that I, I remember saying to Donnie, I, I want to be a part of that, Donnie. I, I need to do that. And he was like, well, you do the following things and it'll help you get there. And uh, I went to see the show in Radio City Music Hall in New York City. Uh, Gene was the star that night, along with Colin Dunn. Um, and Donnie and I sat in the audience. Uh, the show was sold out. Jean actually dropped her passes down from her dressing room in Radio City Music Hall. Uh, and we caught her passes no and walked way. in the back door with her passes. <laughs> oh, there's a story. And this is good. Yeah. yeah and, and before anyone even took the first step, just the music coming on and everybody started, uh, all the dancers on stage just started doing simple head turns. And I, I remember the hairs on my arms just standing up and I was saying to myself, like, that's where I need to be. That's where I belong. That's what I want. And it was, again, I, I just became so goal-driven in getting there. And then I heard about an audition up in Boston, uh, went up to that audition, was lucky enough to get in, and I never looked back. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> I might just even listening to you, I can hear in your voice, I can see it in terms of the... Even as you're chatting through, you're describing it. You have a, you've a, a glow almost about you when you talk about it. Yeah. Well, you know, this brand has been around for 23 years now. Um, and for a lot of the guys that are joining it right now, they weren't even born before it started. Uh, I, I was one of those fortunate people that got in very, very early on and watched the brand grow and understood what it was to be a part of this culture. So when you say I'm, I'm glowing and talking about it, I think me, um, I'm just so proud to be part of this. And I think everybody that has ever been in the show would feel the exact same way. And most of our alumni now that talk about their their years on the road. They just talk about it with so much pride. And to be honest with you, all the guys that are joining today, they should give a lot of credit to those who went before them because those were the, the trailblazers. They were the ones who set the standards. And now it's the new guys' jobs to exceed the expectations. Well, pride and passion are certainly two words that, that would describe what, watching you talk, to say the least. Um, you've performed over five and a half thousand times. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, five, five and a half and a thousand. thousand. Um, yeah, yeah wow. but uh, I didn't know. I didn't even keep count. Someone <laughs> told me that I'd done that many shows. I'm fascinated by. Um, I'm going to pull it towards my own area of interest now in terms of the impact of that on the, on the body. But before we even get to that, can you give us a sense of just how hard you train, or that you were training to get into that role when you got the role? What's the schedule like? What is, is it all dancing? Is there, is there, you know, resistance work? Is there yoga, Pilates involved? How do you get the body ready to be the lead river dance dancer? Uh, well, first and foremost, I'd say the mind is as important as the body when you're getting ready for, for something like the lead role. Uh, when, when I first joined, I was very much coming from an athletic background in terms of um, playing football all the time, you know jogging four laps around the pitch and then doing sprints and then doing a couple of push-ups and sit-ups and different things like that. But when you get into doing a show eight times a week, over 300 shows a year, uh, sometimes four shows in two days, and put the travel in with that, you understand then um, just how important discipline, drive, dedication is to the art form and just to you as a professional. So really, I, I was learning as I went, and I was watching everybody who went before me and, and seeing that these guys were practicing yoga back in 1997 when I'd never even heard of yoga, um, and just picking up those stretching techniques and getting better understanding of, of the importance of mindset. Uh, but 
I mean, we, they've done studies on us where they're saying we lose four or five pounds of water a night through sweat. Um, per night? Per, per night. Show. So then we were had to drink certain amounts of bottles of water per show to ensure that we were trying to stay at the same weight when we'd finished the show as we did when we began the show. Wow. Um, and then I realized it was about 2007, Carl. I, I, I was saying to myself, I, there has to be another level for me to get to here. One, the guys that are coming in are, are fantastic. They're talented, they're young, they're energetic, they're passionate. And if I want to stay at the top, I'm going to have to, ch to change my game in many ways just to try and get a step up. And um, I sought out the advice of Enda McNulty. Oh, yeah, I know Enda. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, he, I worked real, real close with him just in terms of my mindset. He set me up with some fantastic guys like Barry Sullen who completely transformed how I warmed up. Okay. Uh, in one ways, they were telling me I was doing a lot of things right. And in other th ways, they were telling me I was doing things completely wrong that I've been doing for 10 years. And how did you take that? Great. I, I just wanted it. <laughs> I, I just wanted as much knowledge as I could possibly get. And as Barry said to me one day, he said, um, how do you warm up? And I said, well, Barry, I go out on that stage. I kind of dance through the show three times to make sure my visual awareness is really strong, to know that I'm in the, in the right places at the right time, that I'm doing the right steps. And he says, so you dance the show three times before you before dance you the show. Before you dance it at all. Yeah. And I said, yeah. And he said, you don't see anything wrong with that. And I said, no, it's just my way to warm up. And he said, well, we're just going to change that. He goes, because to me, that's like driving your car from here to Mayo and back just to make sure your car can go from here to Mayo. <laughs> uh, so in I, terms of analogy, that's pretty brilliant. You have yeah, to love that. He's yeah. right, of course. And, and uh, that was the first time I was, that was back in 2007, 2008. And he was introducing me into TheraBands and we'd go and work out two or three times a week together. And he completely changed how I saw my body. And this was after he came in, watched the show, mm -hmm. studied my routines. So there was a conscious effort to help me improve in all aspects of my performance. So you never got content is what, is what I'm getting from that. So you're, you're already the lead dancer. You were there, you hit the goal, hit the target. This is where you wanted to be. You saw the VHS all those years ago, said, I want to be that guy. You are that guy. And then you're like, okay, now I want to be better. And I want to be the best. Yeah. Because of the, I suppose, in one respect, the pressure that was coming through from the other talent that was coming through. But I just from chatting to you, you're focused, you're driven. You, there's an element you can, you, you want it to be better. Yeah, I, I did want to be better. But in, in fairness, a, a lot of that credit goes to the competition too yeah. that was coming in. So um, competition can be healthy. It, I, and I think it is. I think it's, it's really important, even when it comes to Riverdance, that we always not only have the best dancers, but the best people. And those people will con continue to drive each other forward in terms of competition, but yet be supportive of each other in terms of the team. And uh, that's what I felt. These young guys were coming up. They were amazing. I had the question as to whether I was going to quit by going out on top mm -hmm. or dig the heels in and say, no, you have more to give. You can be better. You can, you know, you can drive forward. And, and that's what I chose to do. But again, Carl if I didn't have that team around me or, or insist that I had those people around me to drive me, mm -hmm. I probably would have chose the easy way, which was to go out because I yeah. was on top. But really, that, that would have just indicated that I was scared of the competition coming up behind me. Yeah, and I suppose to a lot of our listeners uh, who are listening to the podcast, there's always that element of fear in no matter what thing you do, my own perspective, it's there's always younger trainers coming up the, you know, coming up the ranks all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, and people in jobs, it's the same thing. It's just competition. That could be scary, but you got to face that head on. you got to go and seek help and seek advice, which is what you did in terms of talking to Enda, who built a team around you to help you to be better. 
and you associated and surrounded yourself with positivity and the people who could help you achieve your goals as opposed to people who are taken away and saying, oh, no, look, you've done really well. Yeah. It's time to yeah. kick back on the couch and become a, you know, the, an yeah. associate director yeah. or whatever it may be, which I'm sure it could have been, that was a very easy option to take and, and had people surrounded you, you would have taken that, but you said, no, I want to be better and I want to be the best. And by you setting that bar, everyone else behind you had to step up as well, one would, one, one would think. Well, I, I don't know what their mindset would be, but I think that the general mindset within Riverdance is that kind of positive growth mindset. Everybody wants to learn. They're all learning from each other backstage when they're jamming, coming up with new rhythms, new ways to do different rhythms. And that is kind of the culture within there, within the show. So um, I, I was just fortunate, to be honest with you. And, and within that team, whether it's physiotherapists, massage therapists, Riverdance really ensure that they have strong teams around the people in there as well. So um, I was fortunate. Remember, folks, you're listening to The Real Health Podcast with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. As ever, you can email us. It's realhealth at independent.ie with any questions, or it's hashtag realhealthpodcast on Twitter and on Instagram. And tell me a little bit more about the, I suppose, the fitness component then of a river dancer. Um, how do they get themselves up to being fit enough? Is it purely by rehearsing and dancing, or what kind of training do they, would they do outside of that? Well... It's funny you ask that. I, I remember going to a, a doctor one time in L.A. for a physical and he was he was checking my heart and he said, no, there's something wrong here. <laughs> um, and I said, sorry, what, what, what do you mean there's something wrong? And he goes, well, your rest, resting heart rate is 38. Whoa. And um, he 38. goes, 38. And uh, I said, so what's wrong with that? <laughs> um, and, and he said, no, that's, that's kind of like Lance Armstrong, Michael Jordan, these yeah. guys. And he goes, so what do you do? And I told him I was a dancer and he goes, well, that, like, what, what, what kind of dancing? Because that's just insane. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the more we spoke about these things and the more people were getting these physicals and ensuring that their health is in the right place, the more of us that were rif- roughly in that time, in, the, wow. in that span. Uh, because you're going out there pushing your body to the limit eight times a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that in itself is quite difficult, but it's something you enjoy, so you don't think of the difficulties within it. Uh, and I suppose as, as time has gone on, we have become much more in tune with our bodies yeah. in terms of the way we need to uh, be fit, um, knowing when your cardiovascular um, system needs to uh, an upgrade in terms of, let's say you have six weeks off, knowing that you have about two weeks to rest. The rest of the time needs to be prepped so that you are coming back in peak performance state and not just yeah. coming back and then getting into peak performance. And, and to get up to that peak performance level, is it cardiovascular worse? So is there is it is there running or is there cycling or is it is it pure training training in terms of in terms of you know Irish dance training? Well, I used to always find that the Irish dance training was the most important element to me, only because um, I did all the other things and understood that they didn't work as well for me. So I did the whole jogging two or three miles a day, um, and then I'd go back and I'd go, geez, I'm still not, you know, I'm still not there. Mm-hmm. And then when I realized that if I danced it and actually practiced, and I mean training as in having a goal for that training session, as in let's just see, reel around the sun, a number within the show. I would just dance that for the hour so that I, I'd try and improve certain aspects of that performance or that number. And then when I'd go back, I realized I was fit. Um, but that also meant being in the gym, just doing the rest of your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, your core, your legs, your shoulders, your arms, your chest, all of that. Uh, because nowadays, dancers are athletes. Yeah. 
and you have to completely train the entire body, and that's not even getting into the mind. Well, a resting heart rate of 38, folks, if you're listening in, that is up there probably with Olympic marathon winning record numbers, uh, Ironman triathletes, uh, 38. You can, and by the way, if you want to ha- check your own resting heart rate and compare, uh, why not try that? You can take your pulse um, at the base of your wrist. If you have a smartwatch, such as an iWatch or a Fitbit, that'll track it. Um, or you can take it at the base of your neck. Um, try it tomorrow morning before you get out of bed. You get a true reading of your resting heart rate. Just have a look at what yours is. And I can, even if you think you're fit, just track your resting heart rate and see what you get. I can guarantee it's a fair bit off pork of number, which is 38, which is an, it just shows how fit the dancers are. It's, it's incredible. Um, okay, so that's the positives. Talk to me about the impact of that much training and that much performing. Because whatever about training, but presumably when you're performing in front of an audience, things go up a notch in terms of you push your body harder, um, you know, you, you push through the pain barrier, presumably, because you have a packed house, you've paid good money to see you, plus the energy of being on stage. And we've talked to previous guests about that as well. And it's such a, you know, the buzz of just being on, on a live performance. What has the impact of that been on your body in terms of physically, in terms of joints or in terms of physical, you know, in terms of bones and, and bone health? Uh it's had no impact on me that I know of in terms wow. of anything negative. I'm, okay. I'm again, very fortunate. Um, but the one real positive it has on me is helping me understand the importance of health and fitness. Um, when you are committed to doing something for that long, and for instance, when I stopped dancing, even if I tried not to go um, to the gym or go for a run or go for a walk for a week, I just feel disgusting. Okay. And, and I think that's a really positive thing to understand in, in today's world where health and fitness is vitally important with the, all the devices that we have and everything else. People think that you always need to go to the gym. You, you don't. Mm-hmm. You can just get out. It's go movement. For a wa- it's movement. Yeah. It's movement. And you know this well and, and even more the whole nutritional side of things. So it, it was one thing for me to get an understanding of that within the show. But now that I'm not dancing every night, that's where the lessons were really learned in terms of when I was, if that makes sense to mm-hmm. you. Now I know how important or how lucky I was to have that movement every day of my life um, because it gives you energy. I hear people say all the time, oh, I was just so tired, I couldn't go. Of course, the one thing you need the to do is... The one thing you need to do <laughs> is to get up and move. And yeah. then you'll have the understanding of just how positive that movement can be and what a difference it makes in your life. Or people will say, um, well, I, I tried the gym there for a week or two and it didn't really work for me. Uh, well, maybe if you tried it for four weeks or yeah. committed to it, then when you stop, or if you did stop, you'd have the understanding of the benefits behind it. And it's the same with eating right. Mm-hmm. It's the same with resting right. So you you know all these things, but those four key pillars for me, I think were, were one of the most important things I learned and were one of the key I suppose, key things to keeping me at the top and keeping me healthy. Well, the fact that you've gone through that many shows and the body is still in really good condition is testament to how hard you have worked in terms of preparing it for, you know, the act of which it's doing, which is all of the, all of the dancing and, and, and the just the, the impact of going through shows like that is amazing. Um, talk to me, and you touched on earlier on about in terms of hydration and water on stage, losing four or five pounds of fluid, mm. which is a huge amount. In terms of food, in terms of nutrition, in terms of how do you fuel a body to perform at that level for that long? Uh, well, you, you always eat right, you eat clean. 
um, or as best as you can. And it's yeah. not that you never have a piece of junk food or anything like that. You do. You just have it in moderation, right? Uh, I, I'll give you an example here in Dublin um, when the show was on in the Gaiety. Uh, I kind of had the same routine or rituals almost every day. And I'd pick a restaurant which happened to be uh, it was Little Caesars oh, yeah. there behind the gaiety. <laughs> and I'd go in there and those guys knew me by name. They knew exactly what I was going to eat every single day at the same time. And, and that would allow me to go out on the stage feeling light. And then they'd have the food ready for me after the show. Um, and, and it was just always about trying to make sure that I was eating clean and, and uh, just fueling my body in the correct way. Okay. So, um, yeah, it, it just comes down to preparation in many cases and just making sure that you're in tune with how food makes you feel. And it's about working for your body and, you know, that you know your body better than anybody else. So you would like to go on stage feeling quite light and then maybe have a recovery or a heavier meal afterwards. Yeah. So and managing that process for what works for what, what works best for you. Yeah, um, exactly. What would that pre-stage meal be? I'm fascinated. Um, I used to have two breasts of chicken, a tub of broccoli and a side salad was my pre-show meal at four o'clock, three, between 3.30 and four o'clock for a 7.30 show. Uh, and then after the show, it was um, like a pasta of some sort that they would have organized for me with as little sauce as possible. Okay. Wow. <laughs> You're very structured. <laughs> very regimented and all of our listeners just thinking we'll get that because I'm getting that right now it's you're, you're, it's like yeah it's very everything's lovely and black and white it's very simple it's like I'm going to do it and here's how I'm going to do it and here my stepping stones to making it happen and everything even your food is, is, is very much the same um, how did you deal then w when you stopped dancing how did you deal with that because surely that's got to be a very difficult process to go through having been on the stage for so long and performed so much and then all of a sudden, curveball comes your way, and you're not on the stage as much. How do you? How did you deal with the come down from that? Uh, I'm still dealing with it. Um, it. It's it's extremely difficult because performing to me was like a drug in a sense. Um, standing ovations, people screaming for us as a team on that stage. Uh, that must I, be euphoric. Ah, oh, like even as you're saying that, I I can't literally put it into words. Uh, and it's kind of one of those messages we try to to tell the cast that are out there just to enjoy those moments. I really wish I'd enjoyed them more because they just became something that I became accustomed to. And it's, I should it's have normalized, I presume, after, yeah. after such a long time it, doing it. It, it becomes is. like the regular thing. Yeah. And now you're you're in an, in an office setting or I am. And I don't get a standing ovation every day. I wonder what's going on. Um, so it, it is. We'll one give of those you one things. before you leave. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it is. It, it, it's one of those things that uh, I'm still dealing with today. Yeah, that's gotta be. That's gotta be huge. And we, we, um, a couple of weeks ago, we were in Boston chatting to uh, Adam Clayton yeah. and asking him pretty much the same thing uh, in terms of when he comes off stage. How do you manage that? From playing to eighty thousand people, you're in the biggest rock band in the world, and. He gave us the funny, funniest answer. He was said, um, he's like, well, I go back to my room, I turn on Sky News and I have a cup of chamomile tea and I'm in bed, I sleep an hour later. And I was like, wow, that's just, that wasn't the answer I expected yeah. whatsoever. Well, um, that, that's incredible. Like, and when you were performing, how long would it take you to actually unravel and unwind and bring and come back to normal? And did you have a process in place? I'm sure Enda was working with you to get something in place to deal with that. And if so, you know, what was it? Uh, well, for me, it was, I, I would jump into an ice bucket directly after the show. Uh, about seven minutes. Seven um, minutes. Seven minutes in the ice Very bucket. Uh, well, all of us do it, really. It's okay. not just me. It, it's it's all of us in there. Uh, and obviously, you do your cool down. You get a bite to eat. And I suppose one of the things is that we're a team. So, so we're all kind of celebrating that victory that mm -hmm. night together. 
So it's usually back on the bus to the hotel and, and you're having a chit-chat and everybody's having great fun and all of that. And then you, you obviously you are getting into bed, but I'd be lying if I was saying I was asleep an hour later. The show would come down around half ten when we were on tour and I'd usually be asleep around two o'clock, half two. Um, so that, that'd be kind of my routine and most of the time it'd be just... I don't know, catching up on a little bit of television or, but there's not great TV on in America where I toured a lot of yeah, gigs yeah. when you're at 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. So there's just a sense of just, it's, it's downtime. It's kind of, it's just, it's unraveling and it's, it's mind, mindless viewing for one, but better. We're having something on the background just to let your, your body and your brain kind of switch off and get yeah, ready for Yeah, and I suppose that I, I would have done a lot of e even writing after the show, just writing down the points that I thought, uh, reviewing the show there yep. and then. Um, so that I would have it on my, my table when I came in the next day just to kind of, again, just refocus my mind and in many ways just let out whatever happened that night, put it on the paper, leave it. Uh, and it just helped my mind relax. The, the more we chat, the, the less it surprised me that you're so good uh, at what you do and, and what you did. Because all like this, even reviewing your performance, you know, critiquing it, improving it. They're, these are skills and these are, are things that we see time and time again with guests who are high performers, who are really good at what they do. There's that analysis all the time. And I think for our listeners, it's something you can take away that no matter whether you're training for a 5K run, whether it's in work, in the work environment, that the review component is really crucial in terms of improving on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, that review and kind of implementation is really, really key for any aspect of your life, not just sport, not just uh, fitness or health, but for, for, for work and stuff as well. Um, tell us a little bit about, I suppose, the future. Riverdance, 25 years old. Yeah, uh, the future is very bright. Uh, we're on in the Gaiety right now here in Dublin. Uh, we're there till September 9th. Um, it's... It's incredible to get to see the show in the Gaiety. It's the most intimate venue we play anywhere in the world. Um, and you always hear tourists that have seen the show all over the world when they come to the Gaiety to see the show, they go, I never thought I'd see it that close. Uh, and you're always fascinated too by the amount of Irish people that say, I've never seen it. I've never um, seen it. <laughs> see, see, see. <laughs> Bar um, like yourself on the Eurovision, but, but yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it is an incredible place to see the show. Uh, and for the 25th anniversary, which is in 2020, uh, the plans are really exciting and there's so much new elements coming to the show in terms of set design and lighting and even new music and new numbers. And the cast, the cast are essentially the, the backbone of the show. Um, so those guys are, are really looking forward to it. They're energized by it. We have terrific people in place in terms of the creative team from John McCoggan to Moya Doherty, Bill Wheel and Julian Erskine. These people are, are managers and the protectors of the brand but what's amazing about them is their open growth mindset I mean th they're still looking at the show 23 to 25 years later mm -hmm. saying how can we improve it and and when you're working for people like that it, it keeps you motivate motivated and energized to go my god these people have watched this show thousands of times yet they're still asking themselves how are we going to make it better so they're leading by example they are yeah they're they are. setting setting the the atmosphere for change and for improvement and constant improvement that filters down through by the sounds of it the whole Riverdance team from production to dancers to it's all one big uh, evolving Family. improving um, <laughs> show which is amazing is. after such a, such a time well hopefully I mean I, that that's the way I see it anyway and uh, again it's just something Carl that I'm extremely fortunate and proud to be part of uh, the 25th anniversary will kick off in, in essentially in 2019 really uh, in China yeah China, like who would have thought the Chinese would just love Irish dancing? 
which is incredible. And then we'll begin touring in America in 2020 and across Ireland and the UK then again. So it, it is incredible. Uh, we're, we're on the journey of a lifetime. And I'm fortunate to say that I, I still don't work for them. I just do what I love. You still love it. And you're yeah. going to say that you, you can see it in you without a doubt. Um, Pork Moyles, thank you for joining us on the Real Health Podcast. Folks, as ever, if you have any questions, it's realhealth at independent.ie. It's hashtag realhealthpodcast on Twitter and on Instagram. And uh, as don't forget to rate and review. They're very, very, very important. Whether you like the show or not, do let us know with a rate and review. As ever, have a great week and I'll see you soon. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of the Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry.